This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Lewis into the Vancouver zone, splits the defense in on goal, stopped by Martin. Rebound went wide to the net, then Lewis banks it in off Martin from below the goal line. And the Flames take a 3-2 lead. Hoaglander centers for Dries going for the goal. He scores! What a shot by Sheldon Dries as he faded wide to the left wing and went far down over the glove of Jacob Markstrom to tie the game at three. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Backlund, he needs to score for the Flames. To the right circle in the Vancouver zone. Now into the slot, deeks to the backhand. He missed the net and the Canucks win. Spencer Martin stops all three Calgary shooters in the shootout. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks winning a shootout, beating the Flames on the road 4-3 tonight. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. And uh, we are going to get to some of your phone calls coming up in a bit. And uh, we will be bringing in Randy Janda into the discussion coming up in a moment. And, you know, the Canucks had a 2-0 lead in this game. It evaporated quickly in the first period. But they found a way to come back when they went down. Down 3-2 in the second period, tied to three, no goals in the third, a pretty thrilling overtime, and a lot of chances late in the third period as well. It ends in a shootout, and Bick, the Canucks come out victorious. And when you look at how they've played in recent games, if you look at their last four victories now, I'd say this was probably the best victory oh, they've had of the last four wins. Far and away. The, the Montreal one. You come back from being down four, but you're quote, still giving up. Quote, unquote, more impressive because you had to come back from four goals. But you still spotted a team four goals. But you spotted a team four goals. Uh, this was, was far more complete, if that's what you want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was probably more entertaining because of how many goals there were. But this was a really good hockey game. And and this is the type of performance you want to see regularly from the Vancouver Canucks. And I'll, I'll wait to have the conversation later on in the postgame show of, well, now you got to do it again, right? But, hey, tonight, rival. Difficult game that's also very desperate. They pushed you. And, you know, we've talked about the games that have equal stakes. And yeah. for both sides, you got to win those ones. And today, Canucks uh, win this one. They certainly did. And uh, a few guys who were at the forefront of this victory are players who have been much aligned, haven't been getting the opportunities they've been wanting so far this season. Two guys, namely, and that is Connor Garland and... Niels Hoeglander. I'd say those are the two best Canucks on this evening. Let's welcome in Randeep Janda into the discussion. Randeep, I mean, hey, maybe you go off the board, but I, I pose a simple question on, on Twitter and we'll take your takes on Twitter and also on uh, the, the text inbox as well. But which Canuck impressed you the most this evening? Yeah, you just mentioned two names that are on the, high on my list. Uh, Connor Garland, I know he had one point tonight, that goal early on in the game. But the way that he was engaged in every single battle, the way that he was trying to to win every single single battle, that reminded me of the Connor Garland that I remember watching in Arizona, where this was a guy that was, you know, pound for pound, one of the toughest guys in the league as far as winning battles, engaging in battles, a never-say-die attitude. So Connor Garland for sure, but Niels Hoaglander as well, guys. He he was, you know, in the first period going after a Nikita Zadorov, six-foot-six giant who's a heavy hitter in his own right, and then later on, redeems Zahorna, who's also six-foot-six, and just knocking him on his rear end. It reminded me of Niels Hoaglander in his rookie year, where, remember, he drilled Derek Forbert of the Winnipeg Jets, and Zach McEwen had to step in after Forbert was chasing him around a little bit. That's the confidence I saw in in Hoaglander's game, in addition to the points he picked up. So I got to go to the, you know, the two guys on that third line, Sat, that we were talking about prior to the game. Connor Garland was one of them. Brock Besser was the other. He doesn't play. Niels Hoaglander goes from scratch to 
playing in this game and making an impact, that's what you want from a player that has not really impressed this year, maybe in moments here and there, but that's what the type of effort you want to see from a Niels Hoaglander. And, and really, by and large, the depth across the team, too, right? Like, we're calling this a complete performance, and there have been games when all four lines have scored, but you go through this, like, okay, the Horvat and Miller, they each get a point on Horvat's goal, but you, you need efforts from Sheldon Dries and Connor Garland and Hoaglander. I thought Ethan Bear had a strong game as well, and they really needed just a little bit of something from everyone, because you know, the Elias Pettersson line was a little quieter than usual. Uh, Quinn Hughes doesn't factor in on the score sheet tonight either, so they needed a lot of this depth to come through. Yeah, you're going to have nights where Nazem Kadri is playing against Elias Pettersson, and to their credit, Dubé and Manjapani on that line, they're a bit of an abrasive bunch. They're a little feisty when they want to be, and Nazem Kadri in the mix, uh, he can make life difficult for some of the best centers in the game. So you're going to have nights like that where if Kadri or a, a center like that is going against Elise Pedersen, sometimes it's going to be tough to win that matchup. So I look at that, and I think, you know, even through 40 minutes, guys, the bottom six was winning their matchup. Mm-hmm. You're going to need that. And Sheldon drives to me. That shot that he makes it goes bar down. There's an excellent play. But on top of that, there's the ability by the Canucks to take advantage of a mistake by Huberto in the neutral zone. Oliver Ekman Larson pushes the puck up ice and a great pass by Hoaglander to create that. Like they needed not only a point production from the entire lineup, but physically engaging in battles. Luke Shen did an excellent job of denying the offensive zone to Nazem Kadri at the blue line, like mm-hmm. standing him up at the blue line three or four times in this game and not just a, a simple push off of a, I'm going to knock you in your rear end type of hit on Nazem Kadri, who's one of the toughest in the game at that position. So I think there was a team mentality where we look back at that Minnesota game and say there was no energy, there was no bite in that game. It didn't feel like the Canucks had a chance at all on Saturday night from the outset. Tonight, it was ups and downs, no question, especially that first period. But they they brought that mentality and they helped to lift that, you know, the rest of the team, even when that top line was having a tough time matching up against Kadri. Yeah, and you know the thing that uh, I did like about the team overall with how they played, and, and yeah, they made some mistakes, and it wasn't overall clean in in many ways. But I did think for the most part they didn't get running around in their own zone once they were kind of set up. The, the chances that they got scored against was kind of off the rush, and we talked about especially that third goal, and you know Lewis just drives through them. But for the most part, we've seen the Canucks kind of get hemmed in a lot, and they get they lose their guys they didn't get running around as much tonight and I thought if you want to look at a positive in terms of how you're holding the fort when you're defending in your own zone there are some tangible tangible things you can point to in that regard as well for sure and I, I think you start looking at the second half of that game where yes Calgary had more possession time yes the shots were definitely in their favor and Spencer Martin did have to make a couple of you know big saves down the stretch especially in the third period but Beyond that, guys, Calgary didn't have too much down the middle of the ice five on five. A a lot of their shots were coming from the perimeter, maybe some in and around the slot area, but Vancouver did a decent job of at least limiting the damage. So I think there was a a transition in that game where maybe in the first period it was a little too wide open. Both teams in the second period kind of locked it down, but Vancouver did a good job of of maybe pushing Calgary to the outside a little bit later on in that game. And they could have even won that game in regulation to a certain extent where Calgary was starting to get a little tired. You could see that maybe late in that third period. Overtime, you know, outside of that one chance that, that Huberto has on the back door, that Horvat comes on the on the back check, I thought, you know, Vancouver had four or five opportunities to win an OT. So to me, yes, it wasn't perfect. But if you start looking at the level of competition, one thing we've been asking from this team is, hey, when there are stakes at play here, 
are you matching the level of good mm-hmm. teams? And Calgary, they've underachieved this year. There's no question about that. But they're still a team that's going to be competitive. They should make the playoffs based on what we've seen from this team historically. Vancouver matched them today, and that's a win for this team based on some of the appearance, you know, the some of the opportunities and some of the games uh, that we've seen over the last couple of weeks here. So I think this is a step in the right direction, and you're going to need it against a, a Winnipeg team that's coming up next. Uh, kind of feels like a classic Spencer Martin game again. Uh, again, it's a short sample size of what we've seen from Spencer Martin games, but I'm calling it classic Spencer Martin, uh, three goals against, but a W nonetheless. I love how he's, you know, 20, what, 23 games into his career, 23 uh, starts. And it's yeah. where we've already, monic- the moniker's there, classic Spencer Martin game. It's but, happening. You know, he, it, it, if you're consistent, which he is, right, nine wins now, three losses and one overtime loss, and his save percentage is creeping up. Yeah, we can start saying that. This is a guy that, what is what is a sign of a good, or a, you know, uh, at the very least, a league average goaltender is that in moments, even if your stats, you're playing behind a defense that is far from perfect at times. But are you giving your team confidence within the 60 minutes? Mm-hmm. And Spencer Martin, guys, has been doing that, right? Even against Minnesota, where the team wasn't there in front of him. Early on in that game, made some massive saves and at the very least kept his team into it and in the game as long as he possibly could. And I felt like certain moments here in the third period, there were a couple of big stops where he made and, and just kind of gave his team hope. So mm-hmm. whether Spencer Martin, he's going to get – you know, the majority of these starts, we'll see what happens on the 22nd and the 23rd. But you can see a confident goaltender again. You can see him coming back. And maybe maybe that, you know, that Montreal game was a blip on the radar. It wasn't only him, obviously. But a much more confident goaltender, a much more, uh, you know, goaltender that you can rely on as, as far as we've seen. And I, I love what he's been able to do, especially tonight, give his team a chance against a team that was looking dangerous in moments in Calgary. Yeah, I mean, they had their moments, right? And, and there were times when Calgary really imposed its will. And if you look at, you know, the overall play, there are ways you, you can easily say, I mean, maybe the Flames uh, sh- should have found a way to win this game, given how they controlled it at times. But I thought overall the Canucks did enough to stay in this one. That's one of the yep. things they haven't quite done in a lot of their games recently. And it's it's a slide scale that we've been talking about for, for the Canucks and, and how they've played and you know ultimately you still want to, want to see them do even better than what they've done but they did obviously find a way to win against a team that's desperate as much as they are in the Calgary Flames underachieving so far this season. I did want to spend a second on Ethan Bear because you know we were soliciting who you think is the Canucks or who impressed you the most tonight and we've been getting a lot of responses about Ethan Bear as well this text on unsigned says Bear had a really strong game a number of players stood out just for strong plays Lazar was good Hoagland a solid team effort uh, but on Bear and others texted in about Ethan Bear as well I did think in a lot of key moments tonight and there was a one play yeah it wasn't great but I thought in a lot of key moments Ethan Bear really asserted himself well against a Calgary team that can be tough to defend yeah, the Huggy Bear, you know, combo was something that a, a lot of folks were keeping an eye on, seeing how that looks. But with Ethan Bear, even though certain moments you could tell maybe the chemistry's not officially there yet with Quinn Hughes, maybe the the passes weren't the most crisp, or they weren't hitting, um, you know, from Bear to to Hughes at times, or vice versa. Uh, the ability to just understand who he's playing with, the ability to to correct, uh, you know, if the if the pla- uh, the pass doesn't land, to to ability, you know, create create an opportunity and and to correct that mistake. Uh, Bear's got that, and I love that about his game where he thinks the game very well, but if there is a, a mistake that happens on the ice, guys, he's mobile enough to to correct it. And that's where I look at his game today, you know, over 20 minutes, 
and he's not necessarily going to pick up the points, and you don't really care about that as long as he plays solid defense, but still was active enough. He had, you know, three hits. He was a guy that was getting the puck on net, a couple of shots on net, and I like that chemistry. I'm excited to see what, you know, Hughes and Bear can turn into because it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. You could see maybe they were still trying to figure out how to play with each other, but I like what the starting point, and to me, you know, Ethan Bear is just a solid solid defenseman that can do everything pretty well. He's he's a guy that can push the puck up the ice if needed. He's a guy that can think the game really well. And if he can get out of trouble with his skating in certain moments where it's nice to have that next to Quinn Hughes because a guy that now plays for Calgary, uh, used to play with <laughs> Vancouver Canucks, Chris Tanev, like his skating was very underrated. If he needed to get out of trouble, he could do that. And I'm not comparing the two uh, as, as far as defensemen are concerned, but it's a nice trait to have in your game where even if you are playing next to Quinn Hughes, you know he's going to have to puck on his mm-hmm. stick a lot. But are you able to make that play? Are you able to get out of trouble? I think Ethan Bear can do that. Uh, Randy, great stuff as always, man. Look forward to chatting with you on Saturday when the Canucks take on the Jets from Rogers Arena on Hockey Night in Canada. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. All right, thanks. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Randy probably not available for that one, and, and I said uh, he is. But <laughs> hey, listen, I, I'm working myself back into the lineup as well, so I'll, I'll chalk that one up for being a little bit rusty. But that's Randy Jenna. Canucks win 4-3 in a shootout over the Flames in Calgary tonight. Keep your thoughts coming into our uh, Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, like Gavin, who says Garland was gutsy tonight. Would have loved him to bury that slapper in OT. It would have been just dessert for him, considering how good he was for the Canucks as they win 4-3. And we'll get to more of your reaction on the text inbox Dunbar Lumber and also on the phone boards before we get to head coach Bruce Boudreau and more of our takes on what happened tonight with the Canucks winning on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Myers behind the net for Hoaglander. Far corner, Garland walking to the net, shoots, he scores! Connor Garland goes under the crossbar past Jacob Markstrom. The Canucks lead 2-0. Canucks had a 2-0 lead in the first period. Flames can't come back. And the Canucks prevail in a shootout. 4-3 over the Flames in Calgary. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. You can also grab a uh, phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. We'll go to the phone boards coming up in a second. And we are going to hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux as soon as the audio becomes available available and we'll continue breaking this game down but a lot of takes flooding in as always uh, on the post game show here this one says um Hoaglander Garland uh, Lazar legit tonight great to see that is Jay in Edmonton Joe Bob says that was a good win uh, to battle through adversity but I really would have liked to see us get the job done in regulation credit to Martin for some big saves in overtime when we needed it that's Joe Bob texting in uh, a lot of love for Andre Kuzmenko as well. Cole Harbor, Kyla. Kuzmenko's a stud and uh, an unsigned one. Is this game proof? We don't need Besser these days when we have Kuzmenko. I think in, in many ways, yes. And also given the roles and the way Hoaglander played, I think if anything, you, you can point to those two guys and say, hey, the way Hoaglander played, you still have put Coles in as well. Um, you know, we'll see what happens down the middle for that line and what you end up doing. But... You haven't really missed a guy like Pearson, and you haven't really missed a guy like 
Besser, given mm-hmm. how they played and also what happened tonight. Jay in Poco says, uh, just a Spencer Martin appreciation text. He dug deep to get this win, and I'm stoked for him. Now, you, you see the reaction he had after the victory in the mm-hmm. shootout? Absolutely fired up, and it's good to see from Spencer Martin, who just finds ways to win hockey games, man. I, I, I know Boudreaux made the Jerry Cheevers example, and I think that was, that's a great example, really. And tonight, in a game where Jacob Markstrom also had some moments, perhaps, I thought this text from Scott in Calgary was good. It says, boys, I was at the Saddle Dome tonight, and I heard several Flames fans coin Markstrom's nickname as Swiss Cheese. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm uh, I'm taking Martin over Marky any day this season. What a great night to be a Canucks fan. That's Scott in Calgary. And, yeah, you know what? I love it when our listeners and Scott always text in. You get a chance to watch a game in Calgary and watch your team win. So enjoy the night, buddy, and thanks for texting in as always. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox. We'll get to more of those as the show goes on here. But we promise we go to the phone boards, and let's start there. And we have our friend on Kingsway, PK, on the line. PK, what's going on, buddy? What you got for us tonight? All right. Well, first off, best performance tonight, Lazar. Duh. Okay, what a start, Bick. Let's go. Motorboat, short side <laughs> shell shot, Horvat's dependable stick. <laughs> Shiver me tippers. The ice looked great tonight, eh? Puck was moving slick. I don't know exactly what it is, but like really nice ice tonight in a giant cowboy hat. Whoa, dries, making me wet. Popcorns where my roomie keeps the salsa. What a battle tonight. Real doozy of a game. Even Rick Balls knew it. Makes you fired up being a fan. Kuzmenko Risky. Sign me up. Hey, Sad, I loved your weasel or wizard take earlier this week on <laughs> Batman as a weasel. So, like, let's play again. Now that the dust has settled on Huberto's Lambo, right, in his interview with Armdog. Yeah. Right? What do you guys think? You know, Huberto, weasel or wizard? Uh, wizard. You know, I- I'd say a weasel contract. That's what I would say. I- I'd say. I mean, I don't like the contract. I mean, uh, I don't hate Huberto. Like, I think he's fine. Like, he's a good offensive player and everything. Yeah. But I mentioned this on the pregame show. I'm taking JT Miller and his contract over Huberto and his contract like any day in the week. Like it's not even a it's not even a it's not even a debate to me. The extra two and a half million dollars is uh, quite a lot. Both kick in next season, extra uh, year. Yeah, eighty four million versus fifty six million. It's a twenty eight million dollar difference. Twenty eight million. I kind of brought this up on Central uh, on Monday uh, when I was filling in for you, and then you came in like Miley Cyrus today, like the wrecking ball. <laughs> We're like, it's not even close. <laughs> but honestly, like there's a there's a cluster of forwards, right? That. Miller is kind of akin to where they've signed their contracts recently. They're in certain positions and exalted mm-hmm. positions, but it's Huberto, it's Goudreau, it's Abinijad, Landiscog, Forsberg, John Tavares, right? Like yeah. some high profile signings in recent memory, Nazem Kadri. And you just list these guys' points per game. So Huberto, 1.18 points per game. Again, yeah. a lot of this is in Florida. Goudreau, 1.08. Zabinijad, 1.07. Miller, 1.06. Landeskog, less than a point a game. Forsberg, less than a point a game. Tavares, less than a point a game since 2019. Yes. And it's like, okay, well, Miller's doing better than a lot of these guys. Points per 60 is really strong, too. And then you go to the contracts, and it's Huberto, 84 million. Goudreau, 68 million. Zabinijad, 68 million. Landeskog, 56 million. Same as JT's. Yeah. Forsberg, 68 million. Tavares, 77 million. And... I can understand people saying, oh, you're not going to get value out of this. Sure, and I think that's a fair statement, but 
are you overpaying? It's like, well, the market rate for these types of forwards. He's on the low end of the high market rate of it. Like he's on the low yeah. end of it of guys. Bick just went through the numbers. You can say those guys are better. I, I didn't even mention Hurdle and Couturier, by the way. Yeah. No, you can say those guys are better, but are they are they that much better where you see the salary difference? Mm-hmm. And I'd say no. And that's why you look at the contract. And he has got problems with his game, which we're not saying. But the point I was making about Huberto is Huberto had a 115-point season, and then he signed that contract. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like overpaying. Team? That's what it looks like overpaying for a platform for overpaying for a outlier year. By the that's way, what on, it looks like on a team that didn't even get that production. No, the, the, it's it's not so dissimilar to like Russell Wilson. It's like we we didn't get any of the the, the wins that you gave Seattle, but we'll give, give you, you the, the money. money. Yeah, and Calgary said, hey, you had great success with Florida. We'll give you the money. And it's also fair. We say, hey, you can't judge the JT Miller contract after 28 games. Yeah. You can't judge the Huberto contract. Totally. But I'm just sitting here as, in terms of which guy I'd rather have. And this is what we talked about the contract when it went down. I'm like, hey, if we're talking about JT in this range, 50 some million, as opposed to 60 some million, that's when the deal could make sense for you. You're not talking about overpaying too much. You're paying a big price, but you're not paying the premium cost. Yeah. The premium cost is nine plus million. It's 60 to 70 to 80 million. And that's what it looks like. If you're afraid of, of Miller getting the type of contract that could cripple you, that's the contract you were you were worried he was going to get. Something like Zibanejad, eight and a half million over eight years. But there's there's multiple texts coming in here, 650, 650. It's like, I didn't even notice Huberto tonight. The, yeah, he, he tried to make a spinorama pass, which was kind of cool. Uh, had a, a decent chance. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people are texting in. It's like, where's the $10.5 million player? Uh, if he looked anonymous, uh, that stands out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, this one says, it's unsigned text. Spencer Martin is costing us Connor Bedard. So not everybody is happy with Canucks victories. So right coming now. into tonight, if if they <laughs> lost that game in regulation, okay, yeah, they would have been uh, seventh in the lottery odds. So seventh worst in the league. Seventh worst in the league. So where are they now? Eleventh. Eleventh. So eleventh worst. Yeah. So they're outside. It's not a huge gap. <laughs> it's, well, it's four spots, one win. No, but I know, yeah, but it's like but they played a lot more quickly, games than yeah. some people, right? Yes. So this is gonna this It'll is gonna change. change a lot. So. To even just if if you're a tankist, even to get to sixth, it's not even that far of a drop away. No, it's not. It's, it's not that big of a one. No, uh, but uh, look, hey, every point matters if you're a tankist. I get it. Yes, yeah, I get it. But you know, it didn't happen tonight. We'll we'll see uh, how it goes uh, as, as it continues on. Uh, we have time to get one more call in. We're gonna get to head coach Bruce Boudreaux as soon as that becomes available. The audio. Uh, but let's go back to the phone boards. Let's go to Augusta, Georgia, where we have. Uh, Patrick on the line. Patrick, thanks for calling in, man. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Uh, hey, thanks for taking my call. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but the structure of the defense tonight, for whatever reason, it just seemed like it was more hectic and chaotic in the defensive zone than most games. I mean, it got a lot better as the game went on, and I think Lazar, I mean, just a bunch of players did a lot better. I don't know. I mean, Burroughs was kind of brutal tonight, as much as I like him, but what are your thoughts on that? I thanks for the phone call, and I think I, I didn't I didn't have as much of a problem with their in zone defending tonight. I thought their transition defending was porous at times, but I actually thought in zone Calgary wasn't able to turn them around as much as I would expect them to do. Mm-hmm. Like they were on the outside a lot, like they had zone time. I even turned to you at one point and said, "Hey." Calgary actually has fifty five percent of the possession because it doesn't feel like they're doing as much with the possession, and I think that bore true. Also, when you start looking at the differentials in this game, the Canucks were not overall great, but for considering how much time the Flames had with the puck, 
the Canucks still had the edge and quality scoring chances in this game. Yeah. Um, At least five on five, even strength. More hectic than they usually are. Like the Canucks are always hectic defending. They, they are hectic, right? so, well, especially in transition. Yeah, so it was a hectic defending night. The, the caller's right. Um, more than usual. I don't know about that. But, you know, Kyle Burroughs, I thought, yeah, did have a tough, tough game. game. But here's what. Like, he's played so well this year when he is in the lineup. I can grant him a tough game here and there. And he's constantly in and out of the lineup, right? So he doesn't get a consistent run of games. I'd like to see him get another game here uh, to, to keep working on himself. Uh, so, sure, a tough one. I can grant him a tough one, though. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily mind that either. We were talking about Jonathan Huberdeau and him getting the Russell Wilson contract. This text unsigned. Jonathan Huberdeau turnovers unlimited. RW3 signing <laughs> in. <laughs> unlimited. Yes. Unlimited badness. Unlimited bad football coming from the Denver mm-hmm. Broncos and Russell Wilson right now. All right, uh, we'll get to more of your reaction here uh, on the text inbox. We'll take one more phone call. Uh, let's go back to the phone boards, uh, and let's go and check in on our friend Karam in Vancouver. Karam, what's going on? Karam, what you got for us? All right, uh, I think we got to give him another shot coming up in one second here. All right, uh, we'll get to some more of your phone calls coming up in a couple of minutes. But one thing I did want to go over here um, as well, because as much as we're talking about guys who have been great and everything that's happened in this game and the Canucks 1-4-3 about who has been the Canucks' best player, and we have a lot of reaction on Twitter, which we'll get to coming up in a second as well, answering that question. Bo Horvat scored another goal tonight. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty remarkable you know, how he just continues to score goals. We kind of were wondering, Big, we're like, okay, does he get a little cool? Does he cool off a little bit here? And for him to score after yesterday, declaring that he's no longer talking about his future when it comes to a contract and whether he's getting traded or not. He pulled a Michael Scott. He did. I declare <laughs> ben- no statement on my future. <laughs> not bankruptcy, but he declared no <laughs> statement. But yeah, He's he, reverse bankruptcy here. Y- yeah, but, what, in soon. but one thing that he's, he's done so well is scoring net front mm-hmm. and being able to, to tip pucks in. And he's always been good at doing so. And you've been tracking how many goals he has doing that this year. He scores how many goals now tipped in? Uh, so the two leaders in the league on how the NHL tracks it uh, on tipping goals, uh, Andre Kuzmenko has nine, but Horvat has eight now. Eight and now, and if you include the deflection column, they differentiate. Okay, um, that's now nine goals for Bo Horvat, either tips or deflections, and which is tied for the league lead. With, yeah, with Kuzmenko. And hey, you can you can chalk some of that up to good luck, but actually, Bo's always been good at tipping net, uh, pucks in net front. He's been very prolific at it. But it looks like he's taking another step in doing so. And if you want to look at sustainability for goal scoring, if you want to look at some of those shooting percentages maybe being sticky, it is remarkably high still. But if you want to buy into an argument that the goal scoring is here to stay, that there's another level which has been unlocked, so to speak, his ability to tip pucks in and getting to that spot more consistently like he is, like that can be sustainable because he's always been good at doing so. He's been converting a high percentage of his tip-in chances for his career, one of the highest in the league. And for him to have had maybe gotten even better at doing something like that, that's not insignificant. Yeah, so I haven't uh, fully investigated all of this, uh, but to your point, just uh, at a cursory glance of just you know the, the year-to-year stickiness of this, uh, if you go through it, it, he does live in somewhere around like 22%. Uh, I might be a little bit off on that, but it, it's it's somewhere around there about 
how he can is his his goal rate uh, on tip-in chances on tip-ins yeah yeah and that's something that he's doing extremely well and he, and he came up with a timely goal tonight for the Canucks to take that one nothing lead we're up two nothing at one point but obviously had to win this one in a shootout 4-3 an exciting night in Calgary against the Flames a lot of uh, good reaction on the text inbox William and Langley Bruce was onto something when he moved Lazar up to the top line guy was a beast Hoagliner was absolutely incredible just think he was supposed to be a scratch tonight is anyone really missing Besser or Pearson can the Canucks trade both of them to make space for a bow asking for a friend uh, lol that is William and Langley texting in uh, so Besser and a lot of people are wondering his about his status. He's legitimately ill. He was he's sick. That's why he couldn't play mm-hmm. in tonight's game. That's not just you know a cover up thing. Like that's what's going on. For him to actually get traded, Brock Besser has to play a lot better. Mm-hmm. And up until now, the best game he had was the game he was supposed to be healthy scratch and ends up playing on Hockey Fights na- Cancer Night and he scored a goal. Maybe that was the best game he had so far this season. But can you say that he's able been able to build on that? No, not at all. So he wasn't missed this evening. And if he's not missed right now, what does that do to other teams looking at him, especially the value that he may have to Vancouver? The best way for the Canucks to move Bo Hor- uh, Brock Besser is for him to play well when he comes back. Yeah. Like, that's it. And and this is why we've talked about it. It's like the patient approach is probably the more prudent one here. And I, I know it's frustrating people because, for, because they want change. They want change immediately. But... Because of the three-year deal, you can operate with a certain level of patience to try to build the stock back up. It, yeah. it, it'd be like going into the summer, and you know, I, I know it's on some people. It's unpopular, but you know, would you would you have rushed the Horvat trade coming off an injury, or is it worth it to see what happens in the season? Because he probably wasn't going to lose any more value because as a center, yeah, he, he, he can retain some value. But now suddenly he puts up all these goals, and you know, Rutherford's talked about it. It's like, well. Trade values increased as well as as well as the asking price for his contract. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of where the position that everything is kind of at right now. And it's it's sticky for Vancouver to clear that long term space they want in season. We'll see ultimately what happens with those types of players, especially this off season. But hey, a lot of season left to play. Some guys can really change. Uh, their own destiny if they do play a lot better. One guy who's been under the microscope a lot for that is Connor Garland. We'll talk more about him. We'll get to more of your reaction, and we'll hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a 4-3 shootout win in Calgary by your Vancouver Canucks on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post-game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Across to Tyler Myers, up the right wing. It's tipped into the Calgary zone. Hoaglander centers for Dries going to the goal. He scores! What a shot by Sheldon Dries as he faded wide to the left wing and went far down over the glove of Jacob Markstrom to tie the game at three. Canucks victorious 4-3 in a shootout over the Calgary Flames. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satsi Arshaw and Bick Nazar. Uh, and keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. We'll get to your reactions as well uh, coming up as the show goes on. We are going to hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux as soon as that does become available. And, you know, Connor Garland is a player we've talked so much about, Bick especially throughout the course of this year. 
he hasn't been able to establish himself uh, under Bruce Boudreaux in a featured role. He's on the second unit power play. Heck, he's not even playing in, in the top six consistently this season, finding himself on the outside looking in. You see him be the low-minute man quite often as well when it comes to the, the higher-paid forwards on this hockey team. Tonight, well, the coach leaned on him a lot. Five on five, no player played more than he did. He, he got all of his time... Uh, on, at even strength at 15 minutes at, at five on five, he played about 13 and change. And I think, or about 13 minutes, JT and Bo played about 12, 12 and a half minutes. So he got quite a bit of time five on five uh, at even strength. Cause there was some four on four time, you know, it does slightly edge a bit higher to a couple of players, but we talk about him being a really good five on five point producer. And tonight he scored a goal 5-on-5, five five, and the coach leaned on him 5-on-5. Five five. And it wasn't just him. It was the way Niels Hoaglander was going and mm-hmm. Sheldon Dries. That trio was the Canucks' best line tonight. But the way Neil, the way Connor Garland really created this evening and really played well, especially him and Hoaglander together, it was a type of performance that reminds you the type of talent this player does have. Yeah, eight shot attempts for Connor Garland, let alone the shot assists he may have had as well, just creating for others. But the thing I like too is, you know, Connor Garland, and we've even joked about it, like how he does spins in the corner, right? A lot of the time, it's, you know, too often he's premature with exhausting the entire play where he takes shots from bad angles to try to generate something. But you're, you're good on the puck, like covet the puck, hang on to it when you're in space. And today, when he did his spins from the corner through contact, he followed through and and skated away from Mm. the contact through the defender and then looked for a pass. That was the encouraging thing. It wasn't just skate away and spin back into it and spin away and put the guy in a blender. It was try to make something actionable with your tight turning ability where people can't contest with you. Yeah, And that's where some of the extra chance creation came from for both Drys and Hoaglander. It's it's Garland using his skill set and then moving the puck along, waiting for the next best play. He didn't try to force anything. And too often with Garland, there's there's forced attempts that don't really lead to anything. Yeah, it was just a lot of kind of useless shots being thrown. And they look good in terms of your shot differentials and, and all those sort of things, but it doesn't really provide much of actual quality scoring chances mm-hmm. and I thought he generated a lot of those tonight uh, not to be negative about um, you know uh, the the Pedersen line but I thought they were really quiet tonight mm-hmm. I thought Mikheyev had some really good moments I thought Kuzmenko had some good moments especially in the shootout of course getting that shootout winner but Kuzmenko hops on for yeah. Garland for because Garland's shift is over and makes that nice little play yeah. to set up the drys goal yeah 100% the thing though with Patterson, he he seemed a lot really off tonight. Mm-hmm. Illness. I was gonna say because yeah. you go back to last week, he missed a couple of practices. He wasn't at the sports celebrities event. There seems to be something. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he was yeah. there. Uh, a lot of guys are going through stuff. Like there's a bug going on. There's yeah. there's something something. I mean happening. the city right now. Yes. Hey, myself. My, you. I, I had just, it. Yeah, you had it. I just got back from five days of not being around here, uh, and it wasn't COVID. It was non-COVID. Same thing these guys are getting, like mm-hmm. non-COVID, but it, it like puts you on your ass for a few days. So I wonder if that's something that's going on because Pedersen was oddly ineffective tonight. So I'm, I'm guessing it's something along those lines with him because I thought. He wasn't quite there, and I think if he had been there, I think that line would have been had had a lot, uh, had a much stronger performance. Because I don't think they're 
their lack of performance came down to the wingers this evening. No, and, you know, it's understandable, right? It's a highly competitive game. Uh, and if you're a bit uh, down uh, because your energy levels, because you're recovering from something like the flu, and I tell you right now, man, this flu going around is a monster. It's going to be difficult, but, you know, you try to do what you can, and if if you look at the the high danger chances created, it, it looks pretty grim for that line tonight. But who stirs the drink so often? It's Lee's Pedersen. Yeah, he's the guy. Uh, Trucker James says if Garley can play more like the way he did tonight, more often than not, then I would say he's worth keeping around. But I need to see it at least three out of four games between now and the deadline, and mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of putting it. But I, I still come back to. How can you have all these similar players? Like right now, the Canucks don't have Besser and Pearson. Don't really miss them a ton. You might say you miss Pearson more because at his best, he can play well defensively. He can do certain things for you that his team is lacking. Now, he didn't provide them well this year before getting injured, and and he had his problems as well. But typically, he's that a player that can provide that for you to some degree. But I think it's, it's one of those things where... We, we always talk about a top nine and we talk about having all these skilled guys, but if you don't have guys that can play effective two-way hockey for you, if you don't have guys that can play on a check and roll and succeed and can play on your PK and succeed, then does it matter? And I think that's I think part of the problem you see with, with Vancouver, because you look on paper and you say, hey, they have so many good forwards. Why aren't they better as a team? Why aren't they more dangerous as a team? Well, you have guys having to play certain roles that don't suit them. And when that starts happening, no matter how good you are or how skilled you are, you're not going to be able to click. And this team is lacking in too many different ways. So even if 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 Garland plays well, the way Trekker James says, I still want to move off of it. It's it's not a fit. Like you, you have Kuzmenko, and if you want to sign him especially, I'd much rather do that, especially with how he's played and he's a better fit and just an overall better, more impactful hockey player. Like he can create. He's a catalyst. He, he will be able to play up the lineup a bit more, unlike Garland, who's clearly not doing so under this coach. And I'm not sure he would under the, another coach, too. Like, even in Arizona, there were times he didn't quite get the minutes you thought he would get. get. Travis Green was a little bit shy about it. So I honestly think that if, if Garland does that and plays that well, that's your best opportunity to make the move. And just look at this. Again, we, we like to compare what the roster build looked like in Pittsburgh and what it looked like in Carolina from Rutherford's time and what principles is Patrick Alvin also going to draw from that? You know, the wingers that they've always had, speed, man. Yeah. Speed. And if you were to do the speed rankings of Pearson, Besser, Hoaglander, Garland, you're probably putting Hoaglander first, Garland second. Yeah, and even Garland's shifty, not fast. And I, I would kind of say that about Hoaglander as well, yeah. right? Like I'd say he's a little quicker than yeah. probably a little quicker, but, but, but yes. on the scale yes. of is it what – these guys covet, I think they'd probably even take someone faster than Nils Hoaglander. Mm-hmm. And you again, you can just go through it. It's you know, Phil Kessel, Hagelin, Kapanen, Sheary, and, and there's different leveling, differing levels of skill here, but Gensel, um, go back to uh the time in Carolina. Uh I, I think like Yuri Tulusti was on that team and Yuri Tulusti. You know, Jeff Skinner and Semin and and, and the outliers of this were like Patrick Hornquist. Yes. Tuomo, or, or not, uh, yeah, Tuomo Rutu. Like fierce competitors that are gritty were the outliers if you're not a fast one-shot scorer. Right now in the wings, like those guys that were acquired prior to their arrival, 
they're lacking the traits that you would traditionally look at and say Rutherford has acquired yeah. uh, when building his teams on the wing. Yeah, and, and I think that's the that's one of the big things as well. Um, now, Don and Penticton says, PD had Kadri on him tonight, one of the best two-way centers in the game. A C is okay tonight. And, I mean, that's fair to some extent, but Pedersen's crushed it against better two-way yeah, centers But, but here's the thing, like... Again, I'm chalking it up a little to the illness. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you didn't have it in the offensive zone. Were they scored on tonight? No. So, like, it, it, if you've got an illness and you don't get scored on, cool, man. Like, just yeah. burn the tape, move on. For sure. And also, uh, Mikheyev, defensively, man, the guy covers so well. Covers mm-hmm. so much space when he's out there. And even when he's not scoring, he generates chances as well. Like, just, just a big fan of Mikheyev. Like, they've had worse games, like the minus, yeah, like the dash sure. five, dash four games. Just saying, in a game where the Canucks, before, you you talk about Horvath got his goal, Miller had a couple moments yeah. where they generated. That's the one one line that wasn't able to come through uh, on the scoreboard the same the same way. We were talking about Tanner Pearson and how right now the Canucks are not missing Pearson and Besser. You can make the case the Canucks might miss Pearson more because he can play certain roles for you that this team may need you to. And this text says, Miss Pearson, you miss the pen- you mean the penalty box misses Pearson? Obviously taking taking a lot of penalties earlier this mm-hmm. season. But yeah, I mean, hey, he hadn't been playing all that well. Now, people are trying to come up with a nickname for the Dries, Hoaglander, Garland linebeck. I, I thought we were going with Short King's line. Short, that, that was not bad. This one says Short Circuit line. I mean, that sounds like they'll stop moving. They're going to Short Circuit? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. They were very active tonight. Uh, uh, Paper Moonshine called it uh, the Hobbit line. No, I don't like that. Isn't that kind of uh, insensitive, I suppose? I don't know. Doesn't that come off as derogatory a little? Yeah, well, maybe. It might be descriptive, but I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a good description. Short it's, kings. They're short kings. kings. They're kings. Are they? Sheldon Dries. I fancy myself a king. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they managed to pick up points tonight. <laughs> Again, and, and the big thing, too, is like, the recovery aspect of their game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dries had a tough one in the first period, but improved as the game went along and obviously was pivotal uh, in them tying the game up. And, and they were strong even in the third period as well. Yeah, they were. Uh, Vikingstad, how about the limbo line? Okay, that's pretty creative. That's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Creative. All three players in limbo. Yeah. I mean, Dries is in limbo to go down to the minors in any moment's notice. <laughs> Niels Hoaglander is going to get healthy scratched in any minute. And Connor Garland doesn't know if he's on the top line or the fourth line that's, or if he's getting traded. That's great. That's really good, the limbo line. You know, the third line should just be called the limbo line. Even Boudreaux, he's, he called him the, the supposed third line. Yeah. And I thought that was like this morning. He calls his own third line the supposed third line. And it was a backhanded compliment. It's my salary. It's the supposed third line. <laughs> yeah. But it was a backhanded compliment because he's like, I essentially use my fourth line more. But tonight, Bick, it was a third line. Mm-hmm. They played third line minutes and they had success. Santa's helper's line. I mean, that's seasonal. <laughs> uh, no, but strong, strong performance from them. Uh, again, like you, you can see the flaws that there were in the first period uh, for drives. And, you know, the... the it, it's more of an experiment, but hey, tonight the experiment worked, and give it another game and see how it goes. Honestly, like, so isn't Sheldon Dries the Canucks' best option at center if you're not playing Miller down the middle right now? Do you have a better option than him playing center on that line than Sheldon Dries in your organization? Lane Peterson had a hat trick tonight for the, in the in the AHL against San Diego for the Abbott Canucks. Because you're not Canucks. boosting Nils Oman into that role. No. 
not in that type of role. Like for a skill role, you don't have a yeah. better option. Maybe Studnika. We just haven't seen it though. We haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, like, you can try that a bit more. You can explore that a bit more. But there's some proof of concept at least with Sheldon Dry. It's in the yeah. offensive zone. We talked about it in the second intermission. Like in the offensive zone, I have no concerns about Sheldon Dry. It's more defensive. He, he knows how to get open. He knows how to keep facilitating the play. Includes others into the play as well. It's not just one minded mm-hmm. of hey, let me do something myself and just get a shot off. Um, like Sheldon Drys is very intelligent in the offensive zone and and shows for passes very well. Uh, the rest of the game is uh, fair to uh, wonder about because he he leaves a lot of questions in the rest of the game. But look, when you outscore your problems like you did today, uh, good for you. Yeah, hey, if you can outscore your problems consistently, you still win, and and that's ultimately the, the biggest thing that matters. Uh, people really have takes and opinions and suggestions for nicknames for the third linebacker. Look, if you're texting in, like, you got to know, like, there's some things people just aren't going to say on TV and on radio. Like, which one? I don't, just like, like, we're not calling them the Smurf line. <laughs> well, like, you just said it. No, but like, it's, it's not going to catch <laughs> oh, on. Oh, I, mean. I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. people are going to be like, oh, you know what? We should call them the Smurf. Well, that, that's not going to happen. Gonna call them, no, the mini me's. Then I was going to call them that. Yeah. The Hobbit line. Ignition line? Ignition. I, I can have a worse negative connotation if you know what I'm talking about. There's a certain song and a certain artist that well, you probably don't want to be. That's not, not going down That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Dries is best, yes, is what somebody says in terms of him. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's part of the problem here too, that your best option to play your third line center is a career AHLer right now. And it's not because of injury. Well, that's what we keep shouting. It's like they have to get more center depth in yes. the organization. No matter what. Like even No matter if, what. Even if you retain Bo Horvat. It's like they still need more center depth in the organization because we're talking about one injury and Sheldon Drys has to play third-line center, supposed third-line center. Yeah. That's like no matter what, in any reality, they keep everyone. They still need more centers. No doubt. Exactly. Because they don't have guys to do certain roles for them. And you know what they also they're lacking? They, they lack difference-making wingers. And that's also one of the reasons. I mean, for all the talk about, hey, they need to put um, – uh, you know they need to load up their top six to be to be successful. Part of the issue there is they feel they don't have enough wingers in their top six that can actually roll in that type of role, and that's why they're playing. I mean, last year it was Pedersen playing the wing, and you had hope this year with them acquiring uh, Mikheyev in free agency and signing Kuzmenko that hey, you add two players and that should allow you in theory to have nine wingers now for you to be able to play three centers. So mm-hmm. hey, now you can actually do that. And the fact they went out and acquired those two guys and they provided top six play for them, but the other guys haven't been able to provide the type of play you need to take one of your centers away from the wing. It's kind of an indictment. It's kind of an indictment, you know? And and even if it's not always production, like tonight Curtis Lazar is getting some love and like you just saw natural energy. So it's like, yeah, bring something to the game, whether it's energy, whether it's speed, crash and banging, do something. And Curtis Lazar was... Active and he was all over the place. You look at the box score and it's like, okay, zero goals, zero assists, no points, playing first line minutes. It's fair to be like, hey, at some point the bottom line production has to be there. But you know, Curtis Lazar did things tonight. Was important in the opening goal for checking hard. Yeah, it's not going to get a point for that, but it keeps the play alive. You know, Horvat chips it in. Lazar's the first one there, or at least the first connect there to delay the play, allow them to set up their forecheck. They generate a turnover, and he gets a scoring chance on that play. But he was skating really hard tonight. Yes, and you know, Brock Besser, Connor Garland, Nils Hoglander, when they've gotten their opportunities in the top six, 
those opportunities have passed them by. Now, at some point, Curtis Lazar is going to have to put up points if he's going to stay there. But tonight, he did it with his legs. He did it with some physicality. And that should probably keep you up there for another day. Yeah, it should. And uh, we'll, we'll see how long he can maintain that position. I know Nabatron on Twitter is like, you got to get Lane Peterson up there. You got to give him a chance. And, and yeah, at some point, perhaps he does. But one of the things about Lane Peterson as well, he's played a lot. I mean, not a lot. He's played in the NHL. But Sheldon Dries has been a more productive player. Uh, and Lane Peterson, if he, when he comes up, generally gets more of a defensive type of assignment. That's generally been what's happened with Lane Peterson when he's come up. So, sure, at some point, why not to see what he does? But he may be coming in if he comes in, if a guy like Niels Ullman comes out or something, mm-hmm. where they they feel like they need somebody for, for that type of a role because he's got a lot of good speed and, and has been kind of using that type of role when he's been called up in the past. And we're getting this text. Why are people so in love with Niels Oman? Yeah, and somebody else said Niels Oman should be the guy to plays on the third line. You know, you know, I think I, I think it's a fair thing to say because nothing pops out when you see him. Mm-hmm. But he's a legitimate centerman. He just looks really responsible. He is responsible, and for a team that doesn't have enough players that can play, like your best bet for that defensive third line center long term is Niels Oman. Mm-hmm. Today, your best option to play a, a skilled third line role with guys like Garland and Hoaglander and and Besser and so on is to have Sheldon Dries out there. But your best option to have a prototypical third-line center at one one point, maybe in a couple of years, is Niels Oman. Now, hey, he may only be a fourth-line center pick. It may not be more than that. It may not be able to generate enough offense to be a third-line center. Like, Can he give you 30 points? That's what you need. If you want to be a third third-line center, no matter how good you are defensively, you got to give a 30-point baseline. you got to give me 30 points. Can he do that? And if he can do that and be good defensively, then he might be your answer. The reason I think we're all impressed is he came straight from the SHL to playing in the NHL, and he's playing every night. The expectation was, how can you look in the AHL? Can you be a first-line center in the AHL? Like, if that happened, a lot of people would say, okay, this is encouraging. Man, he's playing regular minutes uh, for the fourth line, third line some nights, uh, at least minute distribution. That's a fantastic, strong outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this team that said that they wanted to go to European free agents and college free agents uh, and to get some players. Just taking a look in the inbox here, Trucker James as well. I thought Lazar was a center winger. Any reason why he hasn't played center? Well, traditionally, Curtis Lazar hasn't been a big face-off guy. He no. hovers around 46 47%, 48%, which is not like anything to write home about. So, yeah, he hasn't uh, played center as much uh, here in Vancouver. No. The big role was going to be on the PK. Now, there's a moment yeah. today where he goes out to take the faceoff, gets waved out, and Patterson's got to take the strong or the weak side faceoff, and they generate the uh, Lazar scoring chance, which was actually a great move by Lazar in the neutral zone. It was basically a two on one from the blue line onwards, and Lazar's like, I'll just get it to PD and he'll find me back. And sure enough, Patterson, you know, nifty move and sauces it back over to Lazar, who gets a good shot off. Uh, but yeah, he's. Traditionally, and, and even this year, like he, he doesn't really have a bottom line. I know he comes with a lot of acclaim for where he was drafted and mm-hmm. his junior profile, but the overall point totals haven't really been there. And honestly, if you look at the underlying numbers, even coming into Vancouver, weren't really good. I can give him a little bit of a pass so far this year because injury and whatnot, still working your way back from that. But at some point, yeah, the, the bottom line is going to matter for Curtis Lazar. And it, it hasn't really been good this year, but tonight – 
Yeah, strong he, game. He contributed certainly tonight. You know, I thought that uh, it was got a good instinct by Boudreaux because I thought Lazar played one of the best games he's had this season. Had and, a number and, of and chances. It, forced, it forces Miller to move. It forces Horvat uh, to move as well. So. Yeah. It got them going. I thought it was a good call tonight, and you know, because I was a little skeptical about it. But uh, watching it come out, uh, you know, give Boudreaux credit. They had, they were effective, and it worked out in in a big way for Vancouver tonight. Uh, we'll get to more of your reaction on the text inbox, and we are going to get you some reaction from Canucks players as the Canucks Central post game show rolls on. It is Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar, and this is the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Central Post Game Show, bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC. Only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, we are just proud of the way we played tonight. It's a tough going to come into, and you know they got, they got a good team over there. And um, you know, obviously, I would have liked to not give up a two-goal lead, but at the same time, we we didn't panic. And you know, in, in previous games or early in the year, we. Might have a little panic in our game. Drys has put a big goal, and I thought we did a good job after that, kind of limiting their, their great A's. And, um, you know, it was an overall great game tonight. Marty was fantastic. Canucks captain Bo Horvat opened the scoring for the Canucks, his 21st goal of the season as they win 4-3 in a shootout over the Flames in Calgary. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, it is Satyar Shaw with Bick Nizar. Um... Uh, a lot of text coming in, a lot of thoughts. This one says, tell those two clowns to talk less and take more <laughs> phone calls. They're both blowhorns. Um, that, that's, a, that's very kind of you. I appreciate the, the kind words. Uh, this one says, I thought Lazar came in as a right side face-off centerman. So, that was the billing. That was the billing. That's what he came in as, but hasn't played center a ton. So far for the main. Because Nose Olman's been so responsible. He has. He has so far. Uh, all right. Uh, pe- and, and also, sorry, just really quickly. Uh, I know we're going to get to the phone lines here in a second. Yes. But um, this text, uh, they have wingers. That's their strength. I think there's a difference because we were just talking about the overall you know, style. There's a difference between depth in numbers and actual quality to what we think they want to build. They also have redundancies. They have a lot of guys that are similar types of players that have to play a certain type of defined role. And this team is lacking in two-way impact players who also need to be in the equation. And that's the problem with this team. I mean, how it's put together forward-wise. Yes. And that's the issue more than anything. It's, it's having too many guys. You have, you have players in name that are top six caliber players, but not in roles that can fit in together on the same team. And that, that's the issue that I have with the equation more than anything. All right, let's go to the phone boards. We have time to get one in here here, here before we get to Ian McIntyre a bit later as well. We'll play some more player audio uh, from the Canucks victory in Calgary. Let's go to Gary in Maple Ridge. Gary, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Well, I'm uh, gonna, I'm going to sort of switch gears here a little bit. Uh, I'm not a Calgary Flame fan at all. I don't like them. However, uh, before the game started, they were uh, the uh, the panel was talking about the fact that they're missing three players: Goudreau, Kachuk, and unfortunately, Milan Lucic didn't play tonight. And uh, I'm not saying that he's uh, he does anything necessarily; he hasn't even scored a goal yet. But the other two, the other two players, 
The Calgary Flames are nowhere near the same team without them. And the the fellow that came from Florida, he may be doing okay, but okay for ten point five million bucks? No thanks. Uh, you know, I I think the Florida Panthers won that deal. I just wanted to think, wanted to know what your thought was of, of, as far as my comment was concerned. Thanks. Uh, th- thanks for the phone call. I mean, I would say. I, I the trade in and of itself, getting Huberto and Mackenzie Weger, yeah, uh, for Matthew Kachuk, I thought was fine. I'll be consistent on what I said. Given the situation, right? Like Matt Kachuk wanted yeah. out, it was a risky deal. But I said, like, if you signed Huberto and you signed Weger and you got to retain them, man, that can be a big win. But it can also blow up in your face real easily. And Huberto is going to need to. Pick it up. I really like Mackenzie Weger's game, and I think you saw tonight just how mobile he is and how fluid he can be around the ice. And, you know, we talked about, you know, what influence did he have on the uh, Mangiapane goal mm-hmm. by creeping down low into that Occupy Sheldon Dry's eyes for just long enough uh, for Mangiapane to creep in. And I really like Mackenzie Weger, even if the production yeah, this season he's had some trouble. looks a little different. But I'm less concerned about him than I am someone like Cuberdo, just because we know there's obvious defensive flaws. Yeah, and it's also a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. And so he's going to have to produce like 100 points to, yeah. to look at that because, you know, the, the common refrain or statement is 10 points for every million, basically. Yes. So you got to be a 100 point player. You got to be a 105-point player, basically. Yeah. Get, get to, if you're like 95 to 100, I can be like, hey, yeah. you're close enough. You're there. Honestly, like, I for, for the high price guys, like even JT Miller, I know yeah. people are like, like 99 point season, he's got to put that. Like for me, it's, it's 80. If JT, like point per game, for eight million point per game, I if, can relax on if he gets to ninety one or if he gets. To I 80. agree. If you're if you're if you're somebody getting if you're getting paid eight million to even close to nine, you got to be a point per game. Yeah. If you're above that, you're getting paid over that. You got to be above a point per game. Like you have to be, you know, close to hundred mm-hmm. points if you're getting ten million. And the issue I have more with it more than anything is JT Miller is a star. He's not a superstar. Jonathan Huberto is a star getting paid to be a superstar. And what the Flames had though, they had Goudreau. The Hackachuk, at least one of those two players in any given night, was a superstar. And you don't have that up front. It takes away from your overall dynamic, and we're kind of seeing that with the Calgary Flames right and now. And I'm even willing to extend a little bit of benefit of the doubt because, look, it's, it's different playing under Daryl Sutter. You're going to yeah. have to play hard minutes and hard style of play, which maybe Jonathan Huberto is not used to, obviously, long time in Florida. And there was even a play, like the, the first goal. He takes a soft approach at Luke Shen. It's probably one that he could probably poke that puck free or at least pressure Luke Shen. He doesn't really do anything Mm -hmm. and allows Shen to go up the wall to Horvat, get that dumping started, and they create their goal. But I'll give it time for that to kind of work its way out. And if by March we're still seeing the same kind of Jonathan Huberdo and the production isn't really increasing and Calgary's still kind of sputtering, then it's going to raise a lot more questions about the investment that they've made. Yeah, because certain. if this doesn't work, they're locked into that. Oh, like massively is, locked in. This is their team now. We we talked about this with the Canucks that if you wanted to double down on certain guys, it's like, well, then this is your team for the next couple of years here. This is the Calgary Flames here for some time. They got Cadre locked up. They got uh, Jonathan Huberto locked up. They have Blake Coleman locked up till twenty twenty seven. And I I like really like Blake Coleman. Mackenzie Weegers signed uh, till twenty twenty nine. I think. Um, sorry, 2031. Rasmus Anderson, 2026. Mark Schimpel, 2026. Yeah, like, like this is your team. You're locked in. And I, I think they'll be fine because it'll work itself out. They're, they'll know, be they're, fine, but how good are you? But, uh, again, I said, 
if they get to the playoffs, man, that's not like it's going to be hell to play this team. In the it playoffs. will be tough to play against it, but I'm just not sure that's a cup contender. We can debate that a bit later on when it comes to the Calgary Flames. All right, uh, we promise we get to some more player reaction post game. Uh, the guy a lot of people have been calling the Canucks' best player this evening, the guy between the pipes, Spencer Martin. A strong performance for him. Uh, the coach Boudreaux called him Jerry Cheever's like. He'll make one more save to win, whether it's seven six six five, whatever the whatever it takes to help the, the Canucks win a hockey game. That's what Spencer Martin's done, and here he is post game talking about how they picked up another big victory this evening. Yeah, I think uh, more than other teams that I've played lately, they uh, obviously had a game plan of funnel pucks at me. There's a lot of shots from the goal line, awkward angles like that. So uh, just, you know, fighting those off. And then uh, when there's a chance to make a great A save, you got to be there. What's your strategy in, in the shootout? Are you just trying to be patient and not commit to anything? Yeah, well, um, just trying to time it, you know, depth-wise and... Uh, um, basically meet them at their uh, decision point and let them make a move and uh, hold matches. When it was 3-2, it looked like this might be another 7-6, you 6-5 know, game. What are you telling yourself at that moment? Because you shut them up the rest of the way. Um, yeah, like, obviously, and unfortunately, I've had a lot of experience in this season and, and building confidence and that I can, you know, whether I like a goal or not, I can turn around and shut it down the rest of the way. And this team also plays that confidence. You feel like your own confidence is growing. Do you feel more comfortable this game than last game, the last game than the game before, with how much experience you're getting? I think a little bit, but um, you know, I've been, uh, I've felt prepared and confident the whole year. Can you speak to the importance of beating a division rival? I know it's still only December, but you and them are both in a position where you've got to climb in the division. Yeah, like um, it's never too early to start battling for uh, important division points, and uh, you know we want to be in the playoffs, obviously. So uh, we know where you know they were. I think four points ahead of us, and uh, that's a, that's a really big uh, time to come up with two points. Is there anything that Ian's refined in your game? I mean, we see you making all these successive saves and really great recoveries and better rebound control. Is there anything that you work specifically with Ian on? Yeah, um, but a ton, honestly, yeah. all around. Yeah. Um, working with Ian here this year, um, you know, there's times where you know you want to be like methodical and kind of take a, an, a big picture approach, and then also in times like this where I'm playing a lot, just like little tweaks and, and uh, tightening up my game. I think that's where we're at right now. Uh, that is Canucks step minor Spencer Martin after four three shootout victory over the Calgary Flames and. You know, as far as Spencer Martin is concerned, uh, the numbers, they don't jump off the page. 894 save percentage, 3440 goals against average, but he's got the numbers that matter. Nine victories now. That was ninth win? Uh, I believe it was. Sounds right. Yeah. The ninth win now for Spencer Martin. Massive. And And look, they need someone to carry the crease right now. We asked him on Monday, too. He's like, have you prepared for this kind of workload? Because this is abnormal for him at the NHL level, right? He's done some spot duty. Obviously, that little 50-50 run there right before the Demko injury. And, yeah. you know, he wasn't as concerned about it. It's like you prepare yourself for any situation. So now it's just three games in a row for Spencer Martin. Uh, let's see how he continues to grow into this. Because, you know, the, the schedule's not overly demanding. Look, it's been Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. He, he can play again on Monday. Then they have another couple of days off before Thursday. And there's the back-to-back that 
St. Louis Seattle or sorry the Seattle Edmonton sequence do we see uh Colin Delia get a start I there. think we do I mean uh, hey um, it's not taxing enough that maybe you just ride Spencer Martin but also like you're one Spencer Martin injury away from also being sure you know, up, you know what creek. Yeah. So it's and some travel because it's a home game versus Seattle. Yeah. Then you go to Edmonton. So you got to get Martin break at some point. I and mean, this guy's oh, hey, let's not forget Spencer Martin's never played this many games in yeah. the NHL before. And again, he he didn't seem too concerned either the physical yeah. or mental toll that this will have. Uh, hey, good for him, man. He's he, honestly like what he's doing with it. It it's it has been remarkable. Go on. No, no, I was gonna say like another good story, another good find, a cheap, yes, cheap cost that the Canucks have uh, discovered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were talking about nicknames for that third line because people were sending them in mm-hmm. and suggestions, and somebody called it the Limbo Line. And MJ in Van City says because we were saying, hey, that's good because all three players are in limbo. You know, they can be, but they're like, no, no, you, you missed it. Sad. Uh, it says I think Limbo was in reference to the Limbo Dance, inferring they'd have no trouble clearing the bar. On PS, how about the three Riccios or just Triccio? <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Riccio catching strays at 11, 12 p.m. Uh, on, on the postgame show. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, I thought Calgary should have gone full rebuild the second Kachuk asked out. But if they were going to go, go all in, they patched it up as well as they could have. Yeah, but see, it, look, I, I yeah. like they're minus three goal differential so far. Uh, they're slightly above 500. Like, last season was so incredible for them. I, I don't know if you apply that to them this year. I, I thought that Calgary and Edmonton would be the best in the Pacific Division. But, yeah, I thought they might be around 100 points. So the thing with Calgary that the reason I, I didn't, it wasn't a feasible thing to just do the rebuild at that point is because you have Jacob Markstrom signed long-term. You have... You, you still have guys like Noah Hannaf in another year. You have Rasmus Anderson, who's 26, signed for three more, four more years heading into the season. So you start looking at it. You look up front, too, even guys like Blake Coleman that they signed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you even have some of the other guys on their team. Like, they're, they're kind of committed to some Mangiapane. extent. Mangiapane. So you're kind of committed. It's like, I don't know. I kind of get what they're doing. I just don't love the extension for Huberto. But we'll see ultimately how it works out for that Calgary Flames team. I mean, they're not, like... 14th in the west or something like that they're they're fine it just it just hasn't looked as explosive as they were last year uh but i think so far uh they're sitting at eighth in points percentage Mm -hmm. uh is that correct uh ninth in points percentage they're fine it's it's weird that we're, we're saying like oh the canucks has been miserable and they're 500 and the flames are 533 but they're coming off of a 109-point season, uh, or more than that. Yeah. Like, I think this will start to grow, and they'll probably be, you know, 98 to 100-point team, 102-point team. Maybe a little bit lower because the playoff yeah. line is a little I bit think, lower. I, I kind of see them being around, like, 97, 98. That's kind of where I see Calgary falling in this year. Somewhere between 94 and 99. And you know what? And here's, like, I'm, I'm critical. I don't love their team, but to your point, they're the – perfect candidate though to kind of scuttle 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 get hot towards the end of the season and then be a terror to play in the first round and they get a wild let's say they get a wild card spot and one of the top teams in the conference has to play them they go against the seattle kraken kraken are losing that series right so so like how (laughs) how concerned should they be yeah they obviously have to be better but they do have to mean the the biggest thing for them big is going to be making the playoffs do you make the playoffs it's like traditionally, if you go through Daryl Sutter's teams, traditionally, they aren't division winners. No, 
Last year was a bit of an outlier, but they've been eight seeds. They've been six seeds. They struggle to get in there. Man, Daryl Sutter knows how to win playoff series. Yeah. The, the only question I have is, do you have enough goal scorers, ultimately? You got to need that, too, because even the years they made runs, they had Iggy. Mm-hmm. You have, again, like a guy who's scoring 50 goals for you every year, at least 40. So he's he's always that dangerous. Like, who's your dangerous goal scorer right now? Jonathan Hubert. Yeah. Well, he's not, and he's, yeah. not, he's a 30-goal guy, which is and, fine. And he's traditionally a... Uh, playmaker more than yeah. he is a goal scorer, and that's one of the things I wonder about them. Then in the postseason, like, do you have that one guy that can get hot enough for you, and, and maybe you get to full? Honestly, like, what's the big difference between Minnesota and Calgary now? Just Kaprizov. Kaprizov. Yeah, a pretty big difference. But like overall, team wise, I don't think they're too dissimilar. I, you know what? I I, I would I, I'd say probably, I'd probably rather have Calgary's centers are better. There's yeah, I'd probably question. have Calgary's blue line than Minnesota's. Yeah, I like Minnesota's wingers better, but if we're talking wingers being your better strength, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd say so. And I pro- in, in a playoff series, I'd probably take them over the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. I think they could beat the Minnesota Wild if they were in a playoff series somehow. They could beat them, yes. Yeah. I don't know if I have them as favorites, but yes, they, they could beat them. But, I mean, uh, I, I would— But we're s- talking about three points separating the Kraken and the Flames. Yeah. It's not, it's not a lot separating them. The same kind of class of team. And, you know, I thought with those teams not being as strong as they had been heading into the season, that if Vancouver finds its game or, like, gets on a run, like, yay, the bar is not going to be as high. You have an opportunity here. And I think you can kind of be in the same tier as some of these teams. And the Canucks are just nowhere near. Or they I, haven't I, been so far. I do think the bar will raise at some point for the playoffs, whether you're Calgary, whether you're Vancouver. But it's at probably not going to be as high as last year, though. Yeah. Last year was 98. I really thought because, yeah, I thought it'd be a little bit lower because we'd get more parity across the league. Like last year, there were some really bad teams. Yeah, they and were. so teams were able to clock up easy wins. And so, But it's it's not a traditional year that, you know, the the eighth place team is, has 97 points and gets in. That's yeah. a non-traditional. Like that, that's a bit of an outlier. Usually it's a bit lower. I, I thought everything would be depressed. Like last year, we were a 120-point team, right? Yeah. I thought everything would crunch up a bit because the best teams the, the, the teams that made the best improvements over the summer were the lower level teams right it was Ottawa it was Detroit teams that were so far out of the picture and a lot of the top teams had more subtraction than anything and so you know everything would get scrunched up and you, the, the president's choice or president's choice the president's trophy winner would be at 110 111 points uh, now, right now, Boston's like, oh, forget that. We'll go 130. Uh, but that'll come down at some point. But the the playoff bar might be around 95 points, but you get more teams in that mix. Hasn't really materialized just yet. No. Uh, Vikingstad asks, forget a Calgary-Seattle playoff series. Give me Vancouver-Seattle. Who do you got in that one? Um, I mean, if Vancouver got into the postseason because Demko's back and playing well and they somehow made it, I still like Vancouver better. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Seattle's been a better team this year and as a team are playing better and a lot of things I like about what they've done and I've actually been impressed by with them. But if, if that actually came to pass, I would give the edge to Vancouver. There are a lot of things about Seattle that I don't see being ready to be a playoff team. And that's not to say Vancouver is. It's just saying if the Canucks are actually getting hot because they get goaltending, I would, I would lean them in a, in a, in a series. 
I'm a big Maddie Beneers fan, but Pedersen versus Beneers. That's going to be, especially for a guy who hasn't played, yeah. you know, there yet. I think that would be the big thing. All right, uh, that's answering a question. See, we weren't we weren't answering. See, we weren't asking answering a trade question. We were ans- answering a playoff series question. Yeah. So uh, hypothetical. There we go, Ian. How about that for a hypothetical playoff series discussion, not a trade discussion. Wow! Wow! A, a sudden outbreak of optimism. <laughs> Playoffs. Everybody has. You know what? Everybody has that that impersonation, don't they? Oh, It's got to be the most impersonated. That and and a Chris Walken impression. Everyone's got one of those, I think. What? I need more cowbell. What's the Chris Walken one? Yeah, that one. I got oh. a fever. <laughs> And the only thing he'll cure is more cowbell. There you go. Yeah, exactly. When when you see that skit, like it's just all right. It's elite. I've, I've yes, uh, and uh, I was trying to catch myself because I'm getting off on a tangent, and here I'm late on the show. There's only a few minutes left. What do you want to know? What do you want to ask me? Uh, so, Ian, what did you think of the overall performance tonight and, and picking up the W? I think we'll give you we'll just give you the stage to give any thought you uh, have of the game tonight. Well, now you're asking a question like Brendan Batchelor at the at the start of the scrum, <laughs> just to get the guy your, going. Your, That's your, it. Your thoughts on your thoughts on the game. That's it. I thought I thought actually it was a pretty impressive road performance from the 24th minute on after the 24th minute because you know the we all you know nobody was surprised that they blew another. Uh, Two nothing lead, and they they got it over with. <laughs> the in the first period, so there was no suspense to it. Three two early in the second. I I just thought you know this has the feel of another one of these. The game, but maybe this is going to end up being like a seven Calgary game. It just had that feel. Hey Ian, we're going to reconnect with you here. Your line's breaking up. We'll bring Ian in. Well, yeah, sorry about that, Ian, but we'll reconnect with you coming up in a second. Uh, the line is, is kind of breaking up there, but you know, on the overall feel of it, it was it was one of those loose hockey games in general, especially with the amount of transition chances the mm-hmm. two teams were trading off, particularly late in that third period when the game was. Usually, you see teams kind of say, "Hey, okay, we're this is kind of." a draw let's get to overtime and not worry about it too much and, and both teams are still very much pushing well, and being lax to some extent i think it's obvious both teams kind of understood the importance of regulation wins as well versus your divisional opponents and you know the canucks certainly need regulation wins because they're three kind of behind the pace of calgary you look at the teams clustered around them like colorado's got 11 edmonton's got 15 minnesota's got 11 so they're trailing in regulation wins they're gonna have to make that up at some point as well uh, yeah, and so let's let's bring Ian in. And Ian, you can you can finish off your point now. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I should. It's it's like I I've completely wrecked the end of the show. I'm now hiding in a place where the teenagers run in horror films to get killed because I asked someone, "Is there any place in this arena where the cell coverage is good?" And they said, "Yeah, go under the stands." So I'm in the dark <laughs> under the stands. By about a thousand folding chairs and and some tables, and I'm waiting for somebody to come get me with a chainsaw. But my thought on the game was just they settled themselves pretty impressively after after that collapse at the end of the first period, where I think we all knew that they, there was a good chance they wouldn't hold that two nothing lead, 
and they fell behind 3-2, and I thought, really, this might this might get ugly, or best-case scenario for Vancouver, maybe it ends up being one of these 5-4, 6-5 games. But I thought to not give up another goal, and it wasn't just that Spencer Martin was very good, because he was, but the Canucks didn't give the same number. And again, I'm emphasizing this is like the last 15 minutes of the second period, the third period in overtime. They didn't give up the same number of five-star chances that they've surrendered in a lot of the games uh, this season. They, they, they actually played kind of an NHL-caliber road game. And, you know, the, the high-danger chances were even. I know they got outshot, but the high-danger chances were even. Uh, the Canucks were better, uh, obviously, in overtime and had lots of chances to win it. And then Kuzmenko with his first OT, or for, sorry, first shootout attempt in the NHL makes a, a great move to, to win it. So it ended up being a pretty good night. Feels like this is the type of game that uh, the coaching staff needs to put on tape and give give to Nils Hoaglander for, his, for, for Christmas and say, just just watch this one and this is what we want. Yeah, well, what a, what a uh, game by him and what a, a turn of events. As, as well, Bick, because we were just on radio together yeah. on your show, which I didn't wreck as much as I am on this show. <laughs> but and, and we were talking about, well, what's next for Niels Hoaglander? And, and, you know, I preached that, you know, there's, there's a lot of development left and, and they can't afford uh, uh, to really not do everything they can to make this work. But he, he goes from being potentially sitting out to he's in the lineup and, and he looked driven, and he still made a, a couple of plays that I know that Boudreau won't like, where he was um, a little bit careless with the puck. He was too hopeful instead of uh, being safe enough with it. But the way he played in direct lines, the way he stopped on pucks, the way he was physical when, when he got to pucks uh, or, or opponents who had the puck, I thought was really good. And then on top of that, he makes makes a really nice play to Dries, who, by the way, sat out last game as well. So you have a mm-hmm. winning, or sorry, a tying goal. The guy who sat out last game from the guy who was supposed to sit out this game, you know, that's a pretty good depth night for Vancouver. It would be nice if you could get this all the time from Nils Hoaglander. If you did, we would never be, be having a discussion about him sitting out and what does it mean for his development just needs to build that consistency. And because he was, I also think because he was here at such a young age and arrived far sooner than expected at the NHL level, there's a false sense of, of how much experience uh, he really has. This is still just a young guy trying to, trying to figure it out. And tonight was a good step. You know, one player that has taken a lot of criticism, and I thought he made a good play and, and was active tonight, a couple of turnovers, but I thought JT Miller, and some people texted in too and said, uh, I actually thought he was pretty good tonight. What did, you, what did you make of JT Miller's game? It seemed like he was skating a bit better than usual this evening. Yeah, yeah. I, I You know, for me, JT, uh, and, and he says this himself, that wh- his feet have to move for everything else to work. And, and I think... <laughs> He, had, he didn't tell me this, but I would say that goes for his brain as well. He just seems to be better, you know, with the puck when he's moving really well versus versus standing still. And I, and I thought he did have a good game. And I thought he had a, he had a more reliable game, a less, less erratic game. And uh, I think that kind of, not that he alone set, set the tone, but I think it was 
kind of emblematic of how the team played this game, where it seemed to me that they they reduced a lot of the unnecessary risk. Uh, they didn't get caught out uh, nearly as often as they have in some some games, and they also, from from a defensive standpoint, they were just more stout in front of their net. They they didn't they were a lot better at, at covering the slot from the hash marks down after Calgary got their, got their three goals. You mm-hmm. look at, you look at the goals Calgary got, and there was a lot of trouble with that coverage from the hash marks down. But at, from that point on, I thought they did really well. So just like a minute ago, you're saying, you know, is this a game that they could, they could tape and, and just show, you know, Hoaglander, you know, this is, I, I'd say this is a game they could just tape and, and show the whole team that this is how we need to play on the road. And you know what? Maybe they should try this kind of game at home as well because they haven't had much uh, as much success as they need there. And maybe if they, if they play a little more low risk, mm-hmm. they'll have a little more success. And certainly they did tonight, but they've got a, you know, the, as we talked about today, Vic, and you made the very good point about it, when the schedule is this sparse, you can't have nights off. So this was a good night. Saturday was a bad night. We'll see what this Saturday brings. But on the whole, it's been a very good month. If you go back, I think it was uh, 30 nights ago, exactly, maybe 31, that they won in Buffalo to, to stop a trip uh, from becoming an absolute catastrophe. They came home from that Eastern trip at 2-3. and three, And starting with that game, they're 9-4 they're and four and there's, yeah, there's a lot of asterisks to it, but they're still nine and four. So they they just need to keep keep that going, but build a little more consistency and dependability in how they play. Well, uh, before I let you go, Ian, as far as storylines so, go, so far I'm okay. No, nobody has found me. No, good. Despite yeah, the... my voice, despite <laughs> despite my voice booming in the darkness here. <laughs> Under the stands at the Saddle Dome, just hiding in the corner. It doesn't help that you're giving yeah. your, your location, right? Like, like the uh, high school teenagers are like, "I'm going to the woods. I hope nobody finds me." Yeah, but the killers aren't really listening to the post game show. <laughs> Probably not. I, I, I'd say you're safe there too, Ian. Uh, as far as storylines go, what do we make about Bo Horvat declaring uh, yesterday that he's he's no longer commenting on his future? when it comes to a contract or any sort of speculation trade-wise with his future. And then he opens a scoring tonight. Like, oh, like I yeah. mean, and to find a, find a way to win, and so many things happen that he's not the big storyline tonight. But it is fitting that, uh, you know, a, a day removed from saying no more comment on my future, he comes up with another goal. Yeah, but in this team that uh, just seems to have this endless capacity to surprise and at times disappoint us more often than not, you know, Bo Horvat is is the least surprising guy because he just is the same night after night after night, and he he's very good. It was kind of liar liar pants on fire, by the way, yesterday when he put out that statement because then he came into the dressing room and actually talked to us. <laughs> we didn't not not specifically like nobody asked him. Well, what number are they at? What number are you at? Because that's you know that's pointless. And given his statement, that would be disrespectful to a guy. Who has who has more than fulfilled his responsibility and accountability to be accountable publicly for this team? But he did talk about it uh, a little bit in in sort of the stress and 
you know, the impact that it has and how, what his focus is trying to be. But there's no, there, there's no issue about his focus. We ask him about it because we, we think, well, this must be, you know, you've, you've been a, a, a career Canuck and you want to stay and it, this isn't obviously going well, these negotiations. But if you, if you didn't know that storyline, you would never guess it from the way he plays because he's just so consistent night after night after night. And he is getting some luck. And maybe that's, you know, maybe he's due some karma. Uh, you know, he's he's had, uh, according to the NHL stats, I think tonight was his eighth tip-in goal, mm-hmm. which just about laps the field. I think it's twice as many as everybody else in the NHL for tip-in goals except Andre Kuzmenko. And that's, and, and that's a judging issue because they don't have a redirect stat. And, and most of, most of Kuzmenko's tippins have actually been these goal mouth redirects from shot passes. So Bo Horvat is, is, he's playing great. He's, he's getting some luck, you know, because there's always an element of luck, uh, to tippins, but he's, he's doing everything that, that, has made him, I think, such a good captain of his team and, you know, regrettably probably going to make him a really good player uh, for another team. Uh, just his his level of professionalism and his consistency. Can we get you to move out from under the bleachers uh, live so we know you're safe and, and, and then we'll let you go? <laughs> yeah, I can't even tell you. Like, just at, for, for safety, I should be able to give you my location in case I'm never seen again so that they know where to look for me but please be careful there's yeah. no there's no markings here and even if there were it, it's too too damn dark for me to read them so you use i haven't f- i haven't tripped and fallen over anything and nothing has scurried by my feet yet. use so, a flashlight on your phone yeah. to get out safely share your location in the group chat so we can track you to your hotel <laughs> Wait a minute! These phones have a flashlight too. Oh my god! The technology. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, Ian... Next thing you'll tell me, I can take a picture. <laughs> uh, maybe s- s- some have that capability. Uh, hey, yeah. Ian! Great stuff as always. Look forward to reading your latest on Sportsnet.ca, and we'll chat on Saturday when the Canucks are at home against the Jets on hockey. Well, I'll look forward to that. I'll look forward to that, and hopefully, I'll have a little more time. This was always a yeah. tough night with a. Uh, Eight ten uh, start local time and then going to a shootout, but I'm glad I made it on. Yeah, well, we appreciate it as always, Ian. Thanks so much. Good night, guys. Uh, that is Ian McIntyre. Uh, make sure to read his great work at Sportsnet.ca. He's Bick Nazar. You can listen to him on the People Show tomorrow, three to four. I'm Satir Shaw. Back at it tomorrow with Dan Ricci on Canucks Central, four to six, and he is Josh Elliott Wolf, our producer, doing a heck of a job here tonight. And thank you all for listening interacting with us and being part of the postgame show as always we'll be back again on this show on saturday evening after the canucks take on the winnipeg jets this is sportsnet 650 and the sportsnet radio